Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Alongside me, Jack Piatelli. We're back, baby. Nice to have you back. We missed you. Glad you're feeling better. It's the holiday season. It's the giving season. Merry Christmas. I got a little gift for you. Oh, my God. I got you a, 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 a coffee mug. It's the it's the Grinch that stole Christmas <laughs> coffee mug. I thought you would, would really enjoy that. So every time you have a coffee, you can think of me. And Oh, my God. And, uh, you, you, you're the Grinch. There you How go. How did you hide this the whole time? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> oh, my God. This is incredible. For people listening and people watching on YouTube, uh, I was born on Christmas. I am a Grinch. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a great gift. I got you a book. You did. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking forward nice to reading Malcolm it. Gladwell book. But, you know, you're not watching this podcast or listening for us to make jokes because we're not all that funny. You're here to learn about lacrosse and, and coaches all around the country. And we have a good one for you today. We have Sienna head coach. Liam Gleason. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Coach, I remember playing Siena when I was at Springfield a number of years ago. We didn't have any schools to play, but Siena was one of them. Uh, the program has been a around for a long time. Um, they've had some success over the years. Um, how are things looking this fall, and what, what are your expectations going um, forward in the spring? This this year's squad has a lot of potential. Starts with the senior class, a lot of great leaders, guys that have been playing pretty much for four years straight between two of my midfielders and two of my defenders that I expect to be big time contributors. This is a group that's hungry. I mean, it took us a while to get to where we wanted to be. And last year that was competing for a match championship. We went to well, went down to Manhattan and 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 won a semifinal game and had the opportunity to compete against Marist in the championship game and we fell short but we certainly recognized how much work and how hard it is to get to that game and that's ultimately our goal so this year same thing it's to get get to that game and put ourselves in in a spot to compete for a mac championship coach you're playing in the mac which i think a lot of people in new england have a renewed interest in yeah. thanks to the new members of the mac what's your approach to teams coming in that maybe you haven't played before or that you're looking forward to play in 2024 versus last year? It's actually, it doesn't change much. It, it's exciting. At first, I was a little upset. I was looking forward to getting to, we were going to be a 17 conference before Sacred Heart and Merrimack came in. And I was excited about that because that gave us some more opportunities for, for out-of-conference games. But at the same time, now you look at just some of the shakeup and how things are going. I'd certainly rather be in a league that's being proactive and, and trying to increase membership because of how challenging it is right now with some of this conference switch. But, you know, Merrimack, a team we haven't competed against. I know Mike Morgan's a great coach. He does a lot, a great job there. Uh, I think they bring some great depth to our conference. Sacred Heart coming in, they've been in our conference as an affiliate the last two years. So they're, they're nothing new to us. Or actually, sorry, last year was their first year, but they're, they're a great school, great addition, great campus. And I think it makes the MAC a much stronger conference. This is probably the strongest the MAC has ever been in, in its history. Uh, I think it's, it's always been a competitive conference, but now you really got some teams that I think can make some noise outside of the conference also. Yeah, I think Quinnipiac being there uh, for a long time, I, I know just covering college and doing preseason and things like that, there wasn't, it was like mapping out how many New England colleges were in each conference. And just seeing Quinnipiac by itself, and now it's it's three more, it's three New England teams to pay attention to. I think that you're going to get a lot more attention 
just by virtue of being around those from players in Massachusetts. I mean, you have a couple on your roster. I know, I know Caden Paddleford is an excellent player. When did he, when he, he's a sophomore this year? Yes. And he came over from Vermont and he's done a great job getting acclimated to our system. Took him a little bit with, with recovering from an injury, but he's, he's done a great job and he's definitely someone I expect to, to contribute. A lot of the guys on your team are from the New York area. I think that kind of lends itself, obviously, geographically to, w- to where you guys are. How heavily do you compete with teams to recruit players from that region? Because I think there's a ton of competition for talent in that area. Yeah, we, we do a good job attracting kids from downstate and, and Long Island and Westchester. Being a Long Island guy, I do a lot of recruiting down there. Uh, my, my assistant, Coach Cox, is, is a local guy from the Capital District. And my other assistant, Derek Eccles. Um, is from Syracuse. So we naturally, just where we're from is New York, and it's kind of a, an attractive school to a lot of people downstate just because it being a private school that's only about three hours um, north of, of downstate. So for us, we do run into some competition a lot in, in-state with, with schools like Binghamton, um, sometimes LA. But we definitely tried to reach out, and, and over the last two years, I think we've had a, a bigger net casted into the new england area watching some of the other teams from there and we've we've been pulling maybe one or two guys each year compared to new york which is probably more six to seven maybe even eight eight to nine guys per class it's just naturally a good fit for a lot of the the guys we're, we're looking at down downstate but we certainly recognize all the talent in massachusetts and connecticut and, and new hampshire so we even recruiting somebody from maine this past year and so it's it's an area we don't doesn't make up a huge part of our team, but it's certainly an area we respect a lot and try to to recruit at. Coach, you played for Scott Mart, University of Albany. You also coached under him. You also coached under Brian Breck, two very well-respected coaches in the industry. That experience allowed you to move on to Siena. What kind of influence did they have for you to become the coach you are today? Well, I mean, I wouldn't be coached if it wasn't for Brian Brecht. I could, I could say that about Scott, too, because Scott really made me fall in love with lacrosse as I played for him. But I was given the opportunity to coach from by Brian right out of college, and I didn't expect that route when I was kind of planning my career. I didn't think college coaching was really in the cards for me, but I got the opportunity and, and made very little money and had to work really hard under Brian, which really instilled, I think, a work ethic. And I mean... I could never beat Coach Brecht into the office or leave later than him. He was just, he was a workhorse, which is why he's at where he's at today. So I really learned a lot on, on how to, how to prioritize what's important and, and, and make sure that you're, you're doing all the little things at a, at a high level. And then for, for Scotty, he's, he loves the game. He loves life and he brings that out of his players. And I, I think his assistant coaches also. So for, for working under him, it was learning how to build relationships with players, show them how much you care. And and then in turn, when you build those relationships, you're able to get a little bit more out of them. So I learned a lot from both of them. I I, I credit both of them with so much that I've learned and, and who I am today. I think one of the things that Coach Brecht, I think, is, is almost famous for now is uh, the transfer portal. How How do you approach that? I noticed you had a lot of graduate students on your roster last year. What is your opinion on it how much of your team do you think you can rely on for the portal does it help you guys does it hurt you guys what's your overall impression of it so at first when it first came came into existence i was a little hesitant on it because we were still working on building the culture 
to the spot I want them to be, where I can bring in a player and they can they can fit that seamlessly because of how strong the culture is. And I think that's something that's very important when you're looking at the transfer portal and you're looking to bring somebody in maybe who's a junior or, or a sophomore, even a senior year or a fifth year. How are they going to affect your team? Are they going to fit? Is your team in a spot that is strong enough to accept somebody that maybe is going to push a few guys down a depth chart? Um, so I wanted to make sure we were, were in a good spot. And I, I believe last year was where we probably made our, made the biggest impact in the portal by bringing in two players. One, actually, a Springfield guy a local over here, but Springfield guy, Zach Schutte, who had an excellent, excellent year for us. I mean, he was a great player at Springfield, but then for him to come over to Siena and translate to the D1 level the way he did, I thought it was awesome. We brought in another um, D3 guy from SUNY Brockport in Rockless Antillo. So for us, it was finding the right fit. And, I, and sometimes I, I think I'm one of the schools that really looks at those D2, D3 guys in the portal too. Um, and I think sometimes you get those guys, they come in, they got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They want to prove they could play at the D1 level. Sure. I, I That was my experience with them. But this past season, we brought in two guys, um, Keaton Paddleford, as you mentioned, from Vermont, and, and Connor Huffnagel from, from Hofstra. And both of them have done a great job seamlessly fitting into our culture, which is the biggest, like I said, the biggest part is when you're looking at the portal, how is this guy? Is he, does he have skill? Great. But is he going to? Is he going to come in and fit with what you're trying to do and, and get along with the guys? So we don't we don't really have a target every year. There certainly is some needs at the end of the year. And we're like, okay, well, you know what? We can we'll use a little more depth at this position. Let's let's see what's in the portal. But I still try to recruit my – we want to have a roster around 48, 49 guys. So we really try to make each class 12 guys if we can. Um, we are fortunate to get a couple guys get a, getting an extra year next year. Uh, but that's kind of starting to run out of those COVID extra years. Yeah, thank God it's starting to run out because I'm getting tired of trying to track where all these players are going and coming and so on and so forth. But my question is, I think it's very important to build that culture. Like you said, it's got to be very difficult for some of these programs that bring in, let's say, five or ten guys the last couple of years to have any type of culture. Because if you're the best player on the field, right, talent-wise, doesn't mean you're going to fit into our culture and be a good teammate. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's so important. Every coach, you hear the word culture, but it's 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 probably the most important part of any program. What is going to be the work ethic? What are the standards when when I'm not around? What is expected of you on and off the field? What's your character? What do we expect of you as a person? What, what's the character expectation? And I think that takes some time to really for, for us, it took time to, to I came in in 2018, and, and I really think right now is where we're probably the strongest we've been with our culture. And it's 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 cool. You get growing pains, right? We we had some tough seasons. We had some guys that it didn't didn't work out for us. But when you get your culture in a good spot, I think that's where you're more willing to look at the portal and 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 address different needs you might have versus going out through the recruiting cycles. Yeah, just looking at your past record, this is your last season was your first winning record. You had a like you said, you had a, a tough time getting guys in there. I think when we see coaches that are with a school that aren't aren't in the school for like 20 years or something like that. We we kind of look at it and go, okay, well, give them a couple of years. It's like it's like a startup business, right? Like you, you get three years of runway, you bring your guys in, right? And and you kind of see if your system works. It it would appear that you've kind of passed that that test going back nine nine and seven, right? Like that's that's a winning record. That's that's progress compared to the last seasons. How do you gauge ceiling of success 
for your team each season? Like, do you have in like a team? You obviously have team goals. You do you want to just last year you made the MAC tournament. Uh, you made the the championship game. Is that just we're going to do that again? We're going to get to NCAA tournament, and that's what it's going to be. Or do you have more regimented things that you're building towards? The the ultimate goal doesn't change, and for us, our ultimate ultimate goal is is to win a MAC championship each year, right? But we we the old adage of, well, we're going to take it one game at a time. We're going to address that our ultimate goal is to compete for a MAC championship. But we also know how hard it is to get to that game. Even if you are preseason one or two, that doesn't mean you're going to go out there and make the MAC championship game. So for us, it's when I first got there, the big, the first thing we talked about was making the playoffs. The team hadn't been to the playoffs since 2014 when I got there. And we were, you know, fortunate enough to do that two years ago when, when we, we ended up losing the Bonaventure in the, in the semifinals. But then to get there again last year, host a game in the expanded 16 tournament, host a game at home against Sacred Heart, win that, then get to the semifinals, win that. Like that was no easy task. So we're going to, we're going to say it was a successful season, but we, we, we missed our goal of the a MAC championship, which is always something that we're, we're striving to do is to compete for a MAC championship and represent our conference in NCAA tournament. So, I'll, I'll measure goal, like measure success more at the end of the year. But for us, it's really going to be, Hey, we need to take, we've got to take this, take care of this game to be able to play the next game. And we try to do our best out of conference to, to challenge ourselves when we get to conference play. So it's, it's not, a, there's really, there's no easy ones out there. There is no easy ones out there in, in division one anymore. It's, it's every team can compete. You see it all the time where, you know, a team that's ranked in, in the sixties knocks someone in the, off in the top twenties. It's just, it's just part of the game now. I don't think our listeners know very much about Siena. Coach, tell us a little bit about the school, how many students in terms of the education, what what is the school's focus uh, in terms of um, graduation? Yeah. Well, we've been very successful as of late. Siena's been ranked the last three, maybe even four years, has been the number one school in, in New York State for, for employment after graduation. Our big majors are really in the business department, but we have some guys in science and liberal arts. Communications, criminal justice is a new major that's getting uh, getting popular. But I'd say about you know sixty, probably more like seventy percent of our guys on our team are within the business majors. And Siena College is a Franciscan Catholic school. The the religious aspect is there on campus for you if you want it, but it's really just how you want it to shape your experience. We have about thirty five hundred students. So it's not a super small, tiny school, but it's it's not a large state school where you got classrooms with 100 students or 100 plus students. Our average class size is about 24 students. We're maxed at 35. So you're never going to be in a room, uh, a class bigger than 35 students. So just the actual engagement at Siena, when you walk into a classroom, you're going to know your professor. They're going to know you. You're going to know your classmates. It's It's very challenging to be to not be successful if you're showing up to class at Siena because you're you're automatically engaged when you get there. There's a great sense of community on campus. The student athletes root for each other. It's 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 a special place. It's there's a reason I had some success at Albany and was given an opportunity to take the next step to be a head coach. And when Siena opened up for me, it was it was a no brainer because of my my three years um, of being an assistant coach there when I started off. I had so much fun. We had a lot of success and I saw something special there. And it had changed a lot since Coach Brecht and I were coaching as far as our facilities and what we were able to offer. So for me, it was a, it was a no brainer because it's just a special place. It really is. Well, talk about your facilities. What new facilities are available to the athletes today? So we have within the last five years, they have built uh, 
a brand new training facility with, with a hydrotherapy center, beautiful branded hot and cold tubs, underwater treadmill, really some special equipment in there. And being a D1 athlete, the training room isn't, isn't just for being when you're injured. It's for taking care of your body, right? So there's a lot of stuff in there that is um, what we call preventative stuff, where you get in there and you, you're making sure you're stretching, you're heating, you're doing stuff after practice, so you're ready to go the next day. Our weight room, uh, we don't have football, so we're the biggest team on campus, which is which is nice. Our weight room is a great, great setup for what we what we need to accomplish in there. Um, like I said, built within the last five years. Our locker room has been renovated. We actually just were renovating it again and adding another couple of lockers in there. And one of the things that's really exciting is currently we play on Hickey Field with uh, women's across men's soccer and women's soccer. So we have four teams using one turf field, and we are actually in the process of building our uh, lacrosse only field. So that will be uh, a, a second turf field, only lacrosse lines on it, brand new uh, stands and bathrooms and everything. It's going to be a really nice setup. That's in the early stages. The planning is is occurring right now, and we're hoping to break ground next year. Um, and it's looking very promising right now. So that's going to be an exciting um, addition to, or there are already great, great facilities we have. Coach, we're catching you after the IMLCA coaches meetings. One of the things that came up there was the possible change in faceoffs, not using a clamp, getting rid of it all together. It seemed like uh, for a couple of days there, every faceoff guy in the country was panicking. What was your take on that? And are you, I guess I hate to ask this question, are you pro or anti faceoff? I tried to stay away from that committee when they were forming the committee on how to solve this problem because I knew the the backlash was going to be immense. Um you know, personally, I I don't think it's it's screwing up our game in any way. I do think there's a potential. I'd like to see what are some of the different scenarios and different uh, different things that they come up with for replacing the faceoff. And I don't think the faceoff ultimately will be replaced. I just think they're going to look to alter it in one way. The big the big pushback was the actual clamp. There's a lot of coaches that believe that goes against the rules of the game because it's actually withholding the ball in that one split second of, of a pinch and a pop. That's that's where a lot of the people against the clamp, that's the, the, the route they're taking. I think that it could be an exciting change if they allowed it just a rate. I still think it's going to be one player that in a country that will be super dominant at it. Uh, I don't think it will change that aspect, uh, but it could be, it could be exciting to see what, what else is out there as far as facing off. I'm not, I'm not in favor of taking the face off out of the game. I think that would be terrible if they did like a six is like get, take the ball outside the box and, and then you got to clear it. I don't want to see that happen, but I would be excited to see what different options are out there if we were to take the, take the clamp out of the game. Yeah. I don't want to see the face off taken out of the game either. I'd like to see a rake. I'd like to see more action from the wings, uh, more turnovers, more uh, ability to have fast break play. And, and, and I think it just creates more of a faster game, more exciting game with the rake. Uh, and I think if you take the face off out, it eliminates that anticipation of what team is going to come up with the ball. You know, how to awarded the ball. I think that that's a big part of lacrosse is winning that face off and controlling the ball throughout play is so, so, so important. But again, if you have one dominant guy, but how many dominant guys are there in the country? Not that many. No. You can only name, what, three or four in the pros, three or four, and everyone else is about the same. So if you eliminate those guys, I don't think anybody has a problem with it. Why, why are we changing lacrosse 
to be like everything else. That's so, it's so, sorry for no, the No, but back in the, so dumb to me. But the game to was like great. Take when, away the thing that was great. That's no. what separates us from basketball. And I mean, hockey has face-offs. What's the problem with hockey face-offs? No, they still have face-offs. I but, know. But great. They have no more, fa- they have more face-offs. Yeah. No, no one's trying to replace those. I, it's not a possession game so, though. I also, well, I also think that, well, now with the shot clock, come on. That argument's a little, a little dead too. And also we're not getting, we've already changed the rules so much with face-off guys that we've basically eliminated three-minute tie-ups. I, listen, I get it. Three-minute tie-ups are not good for anybody except the two guys grunting in there trying to get the ball up. But like how many, I can count on one hand. I watch so many college games and count on one hand how many times a tie-up lasted more than 10 seconds this year. That's wild. It, the fact that we have to change it is is crazy. I just I like asking coaches about it that are that were there because I was not there because uh, I I couldn't make the trip. But if I was there, I would have. It would have well, been. Fun. <laughs> I'll tell you that passionate people who are in your in your corner also that are that are coaches. It was not. I think it was seventy eight percent of Division One head coaches voted to to change the face off. But there was some animate voices making similar arguments that you just made in in the room that day. I think that a lot of the coaches take the side, though, that it should, like, hockey, the guy who faces off, you've got to hit it to someone. Basketball, you got to hit it to someone. It, it, it's more of not having one player being able to take the face off and gain possession. You have to, some some of the arguments were fine, keep the clamp, but the face off guy can't pick hoop, scoop the ball. He's got to, he's got to rake it out to somebody or clamp it out and pull it out to somebody. That would keep the clamp and maybe appease some other some coaches who think that's a part that has to be changed, but there's, there's a lot of ideas. I mean, we had coaches saying, Hey, let's spin the sticks around where the faces are chasing are facing each other. And now you're, you're pulling it that way, which I think would be pretty weird. And it'd be interesting to see, but um, there's going to be a lot of discussion. I think there's uh, about a 15 to 16 coach committee. Who's, who's talking about this. That doesn't consist, does consist of division one, two and three coaches. So it'll be interesting to see what their their report is, their feedback is after a couple of meetings. Coach, if they make a change, it won't be applied until 2025. Is that correct? Nothing will be affected this season. It is it is the committee's job to put something, a proposal to the NCAA by, I believe, June 1st. And then that would be then it, then it's out of the coach's hands. And then it goes to the NCAA um, committee who who might not even agree and say, no, we're, we're just going to keep this. Like, we're not changing this again. So there's a lot of uncertainty. And I don't know if you, I, I totally understand the panic by face-off guys. Um, it, it's especially with some frustration with rules changing. I still think all the guys that coach to face-off, it's still going to be, whatever the change is, it's still going to be something that you got to work at. You got to get coached at. You got to practice. So I don't think it's, Face-off guys are still going to exist. You might be a little different, but it's it's not going to take the position away. Well, I think what I like about it, you're going to have more options. You might have your best lacrosse player facing off if, if it's a rake. Most athletic, fast, best ground ball guy. So, again, it's it's. I think coaches are going to have more options and allow more players to, to get on the field. We talk about face-offs too much. Coach, you're actually catching me the day after I submitted D2 and D3 All-Americans to USA Lacrosse Magazine. And that process was wildly time-consuming, arduous, hard, all that stuff. Part of that was talking to coaches and, and seeing their evaluation of players and making those lists is, is it's an impossible task. Someone's always going to be upset. I'm curious, you talked about 
bringing in some some D3 players earlier. How do you evaluate whether or not they can play and contribute to your team? Because I think a lot of D3 players, top-level players, the, the NESCAC specifically, produces D1 players. They are D1 players, basically, playing in D3. How do you, but how do you pick what's right for your team other than personality and culture? Like, what, what physical things are you looking for? Game IQ? What are some of the attributes that you really need to hone in on before you bring that kid into your squad? The two guys I mentioned before that we, we brought in last year, one, it was pretty easy to see. I think Zach Schrute was like 60 and 60. So I was like, okay, yeah. this kid's got great numbers. You could play, you could play the game. And then Rocco Santoa, I believe he was the Suniac player of the year. So for me to see, okay, well, look at the success these guys have in production, that was pretty obvious. But then, then it was watching some of their film, talking to their coaches. How, how did he do his freshman year? Was he, if he wasn't playing, how did he handle that? Because that's, that's a big part too. It's when you're bringing someone in from the transfer portal, even if they're from a lower division, they're coming here because they're expecting to make a, a difference or compete on game day, especially if it, those guys were one and done. So if they, were, if they came here, they didn't play last year. That would be pretty disappointing, I imagine, that they they came in and for one year didn't even step on the field. So you want to make sure one that well, and again, nothing's guaranteed, right? I'm never I'm not recruiting anybody out of the portal saying, Hey, you're gonna come here and you're gonna play. You still gotta it's best players play. But you gotta make sure that you think they can physically handle it, they got the IQ to handle it. Were they playing competitive division three, division two lacrosse, or were they in a very weak league so their numbers are inflated? And then obviously you already said besides it, but I'm I'm talking to the coaches and asking them about how they were in the locker room. And there's there's some players out there that maybe had 120 points, but the coach doesn't want to sign up for them for a fifth year. So I don't want to either. So yeah, you're not going to bring a guy in that's going to struggle on the field or not have an opportunity to play. If you're going to take someone from the portal, you want to at least have a chance of him contributing and make your team better, obviously. And like you said, there's, there's no guarantees. Right. This is the best test year, too, for high-level D3 players contributing at D1 teams. Jack Boyden at Virginia, how much is he going to play? Even struggling to to remember the name of the defensive player from Union. Jake Titus, I think. Is that is that Cuse? Uh, is, is that going to translate? Like, the, some of these guys are going to fill very specific roles for these high-level teams in, D, in D1. I think how they do is going to impact how many coaches are going to go, all right, well, I'm going to look at that guy, right? Like, got, got to start looking at D2 and D3 guys. And it, I, I like that. I Obviously, we're D3 guys. We love that, right? Yeah. And, and I coached a D2 for two years as well. So, like, there's just a lot of talent out there. And, you know, it's great. Ever. I mean, the talent nowadays, it, it, we, we bring in union usually in the fall for, like, a, a second team in our scrimmages. And, and you can see, I mean, these – there's great athletes. There, I think one one year we were walking down the line, and I think they had like ten more guys over six foot than we did. I'm like, oh, these these guys are big, you know. So yeah. there's depth, there's depth everywhere, and I think you're seeing that even in the recruiting process. How late some of these some guys are still going because you're like, oh, this kid, I I, I still got room for a 24. I'll, I'll I'll go now. And so I think you you just there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. It's it's on each coach to evaluate who's going to be the best fit for their program. But I do think there's enough good players out there for each team to be successful. Well, if you're a very good player and you go to a Division two or three um, program and you start as a freshman, you start your freshman year and your sophomore and you get a lot of playing time, you're developing as a player. And, it may, again, gives you an opportunity to maybe play at the next level 
where if you go to a Division One program, you might not see the field to your junior or senior year. So from a recruiting standpoint, Coach, you know, you, you have an opportunity to see if these guys actually competed at the college level, regardless of what division it is. Right. Right. And that, and that matters. That's a big deal. Right. So talk a little bit about um, your recruiting process, how you recruit your players, how involved are you, are you in, in the recruiting process and your assistant coaches, and what do you look for in a player, not only his skill set, but um, character? Yeah, yeah. Well, we we do it um, in a way that we don't have a rec- recruiting coordinator. I don't. Not one of my assistants or myself are the one guy running the show. Uh, we all are out there on the road together. We we always looking for multiple evaluations. Well, we'll never take a kid just on film. But for us, it's 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 finding where are we drawing from. Well, who, what what schools are we attract are attracted to Sienna? When I first got to Sienna, there was a lot of New Jersey, a lot of Bergen County, New Jersey players and on the, on the roster. And through our recruiting process, we didn't have the same success in that area, but we also had a lot more success on Long Island. And so I think it's where you're looking, who you're, who you're attractive to is, is up to your, each coach's eyes, right? I think sometimes you're watching a player and you're like, ah, that can, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. Maybe he could play for me. And then you look at him and he's going to an ACC school and you're like, okay, they see something maybe I don't see right now. Right. So for us, it's identifying. Again, for us at, being at Sienna Mass School, we're really not bringing in five star, four star guys that often, right? That's that's a very that would be a challenge for us. So for us, maybe we're looking for, for guys sometimes that have show a lot of potential, and we can right. get there and then turn them into a four star guy. Um, so we're 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 looking for guys that have a lot of potential. I also attribute a lot of that stuff with potential to multi multi sport athletes. I love basketball players. I think basketball players translate great. At the next level, their their hip work, their understanding on how to guard somebody without a stick in your hand, how to how to get around a pick, how to play. I mean, it's your communication. So I'm I, I like looking for multi sport athletes, and and like I said, we we identify certain areas. Syracuse, we do pretty well. Downstate, locally for sure, and and we've been branching out to New England a lot more in the last probably about four years, and and looking at some of those teams, and we're starting to find some success there now. Now, are you finished with your 25 class? Are you still working on your 25 class? No, we, we have four 25s committed. Uh, this is we're basically right on track to where we usually are. Uh, I assume we'll probably have another two guys in the next month here. But we're usually about six to seven guys before our season starts. And then we we finish out the, uh, the class in the summer. And I'm a big fan of that. I, I think it's crazy. And I get it when you're at, you're, you're at the highest and a high level and you're, you know, you're able to fill your class of five-star, four-star guys in, in three weeks in September. I think that's, there's only a few schools out there that are doing that. I, I think it's crazy though when I see some schools that are a little bit below that level and they have 12 guys committed by October 5th. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? There's, there's, there's going to be better guys out there still. There's a lot of players that develop through their junior year. Those guys also aren't going to stay. You don't know. They're, they're, they're not guaranteed. Right, right. You know, that that's such a great message to the parents because – I talk to parents and players all the time about recruiting. And I was talking to a, a parent the other day and he, he signed his son up for this travel all-star team. He's in the eighth grade and he got some advice from someone saying that he has to get exposure in the eighth grade. I'm like, forget the exposure. Just control what you can control. Keep getting work on your stick skills. He has no left. Bigger, stronger, faster, and the whole, whole nine yards. But you, you've only got four committed at the 25 level, right? 
So many kids and parents think that September 1 date is signing day for everybody. And what they don't understand is the first day where you can communicate with the players, right? The juniors, just the juniors. So there's such a great misconception out there. And we're working on trying to fix it. And having coaches yes. on like you really help help us a lot because it's music to my ears and you only have four 25s, yeah. right? Because you you probably even haven't started watching 26s. We go to a tournament and, and I had parents asking me why there weren't any coaches watching the 27s. Forget about it. Forget about it. If they watched you, they wouldn't remember you anyways. Yeah. No, and you're going to change a bunch. When we got rid of the, the early recruiting a couple of years back, that was, like I said, even with the current rules where we're, we don't call this early recruiting anymore, but I still, I'm a big believer. Some of the best kids we get in our class are guys we're getting in July or August uh, going into their senior year. And they're, they're the guys that were maybe the Latin the number 11 or 12 in the class, but they end up being like number one on the depth chart when, when they get to school. It's, and I would say, I mean, they're, I'm glad you guys are communicating that to, to everyone because they, I would say there's at least 50%, maybe 60% of division one that are more like us yep. that are still going to be recruiting heavily 25s through August. Can you look in the board? There's, I think a 24 just went to a division one school recently. Like it's, everybody takes their, has their own philosophy to me. I think it would be it wouldn't be the right decision for our program if we filled up our twenty fives by December. And then when I say only have four, we've only put five offers out there. It's not like we got ten offers denied by people. We're we're specifically taking our time and finding the guys we want, and we've gotten one no so far. We've got a couple of guys that we're still waiting to put offers in our hands as they go through the process. But it's not like we're we're striking out all over the place, and that's why I mean we have four hits. It's it's on purpose, and it's the way we like to recruit. Are most year recruits that you bring in is Siena in most cases their number one choice? Well, I mean, it's it's always going to be. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I would hope so, right? That's why they yeah, yeah. that offer. That's our that's our goal always, right? Is to I tell guys, I'm also not a deadline guy. Uh, there's a lot of coaches out there that will they'll put an offer on the table and say, "Hey, here's an offer. Uh, I need to know when in a in a week, um, or I need to know by Tuesday, or whatever it is." I, I can't stand that to me. Like if I'm going to, if that's the only way I'm going to get you to commit, then you don't really want to be here. I want a guy that's. I, yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. I couldn't agree. I had, a, I had a parent call me up once and said, we have two weeks to make a decision. I have, I said, you have as long as you want to make a decision. Right. As I, long as you want. If they really I'll, want you, if they really want you, go ahead, coach. They, they're going to, they're going to wait for you. Right. I'll get into that situation where it's going to be like July or August. And we got right. one midi spot left. And like, we want this kid, but we have this other kid on the back burner. Then I'll be, then, then it's a little bit like, Hey, this is the situation. I need you to kind of make a decision soon here. Cause we want you to be the guy. But if we, if you, you go somewhere else, we want to make sure we're doing what, what's right by the program. But we're, to me, it's like, I tell every kid when they won't leave the office, I'm like, when you're ready, when you're telling, when you say, Hey, I want to go to Siena, I want to compete for a Mac championship. I want to play for coach Gleason. I want to be a part of that. Call me back up. And then we're going to put an offer in your hands. And that's usually. Uh, it's been successful for us. I mean, I, I also, we've lost out the kids that have been deadlined or, or lost kids to schools that have deadlined them, which is a little frustrating at times because they're making that decision before they can even see your campus because of the pressure put on them. Right. But I'm not going to change the way I do things. I yeah, that's that's got to be a little frustrating for you, but you, you got to stick to what you do. It's like I'm in a business and if you worry about what everyone else is doing, you're going to lose focus on what you're doing and you got to stick to what you believe in. 
but that that's what recruits are doing too. So I coach, I, I help coach high school at a very small school in New Hampshire. And I had a kid, he plays, plays Tomahawks. And every time a kid commits to a school, he goes, coach, how good is this school? I get a text immediately. I'm like, it, it, it it's good for him. What, what's, what do you want me to say? And he's like, oh, I can't wait till I get, start getting some offers. And I was like, no, 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 that's not how we do this. You work hard. You go play hard. Coaches contact you. Study hard. You, and yeah. And he's a smart kid. It's, I don't, I'm not worried about that with him, but him specifically, he's so worried about what everyone else is doing right. that I'm just like, you yep. need to focus on school. You need to focus on family life and you need to focus on lacrosse after that. Like you can't have that be the one thing is like, can't, I'm going to go D1. I'm going to go D2. I'm going to go high level D3. I'm like, okay, man. But you need to go through a lot of steps. You can't think three years ahead. No. It's crazy. And it is. I think it's more common than ever. I don't know well, how. Social media. Social well, it, media. It is. And it, it is. Because the is. kids, because I saw, I yeah. last night, I'm, this happened last night. I was scrolling on Instagram and I see a kid commits. I'm like, how long till he texts me? My phone, immediate text. Because I got there right when the story came up and I was like, okay, we're having the conversation. What it, What is your take on that in your position versus what you have to deal with with parents and recruits? I think you got, that's that's a life lesson that you need to learn like now, right? Yeah. And I think that, that carries over it. even when you get to to college. If you're on it, looking at the depth chart and you're like, well, I'm number six, but I'm better than five and four. I do this oh. better. Than, you're, if you're concerned about what they're doing and not focusing on what you control to make yourself climb the depth chart, it's never about the person in front of you. It's about what you need to do to move up. And that's, that has to do with the same thing with recruiting and all that. You got to learn the life lesson is focus on the things that make you a better person, surround yourself with people that make you a better person. And, and then things are going to work out the right way, but you can't, you can't go, you know, is that school good or, 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 or comparing yourself to another player that commits somewhere that's, that's not going to do you any good. And it's only going to hurt you. And it's, it's one of those ones that I think a lot of players have to learn. Um, especially nowadays at the division one level, I see it and I happening more and more now a, a freshman comes in and yes, they were the best player on our team, but so is their class, right? Everybody was the best player in our team. Usually when they're going to play college or cross right. and have a certain expectation of playing time. And you have to understand that it's nothing's given to you. So what you need oh. to do, focus on being the best player, learn the offense, learn the defense, learn uh, what the coach ex- expectations are. And that's how you're going to get on the field. But just because you were a high school American, you're not going to play just because of that, right? So it's no, it's, it's it's it, it's not what no one cares what you did in high school. You're in college now. Let's see what you can do. Last question for you, Coach. This really frustrates me. I was at the IMCLA tournament where the convention was, and there were a number of teams that players didn't show up. They were 25s because they were already committed. They didn't go down and play. They originally signed up to play in the tournament, and they said, well, we just got committed. Now we don't, we're not going to play. I think it's the biggest mistake if you made the commitment to play on this team. But these players now, they committed, and now oh, I don't have to play anymore. Oh, I don't have to do this anymore. It's, it's the beginning. It's the starting line. You should be out there playing and developing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's, that's something that I, I usually communicate to, to any kid that commits to me. After the fact of saying, "Hey, we're happy on board now. You got to now. You got to fulfill your end of the bargain, right? You gotta, you gotta work hard. You gotta keep, keep striving for the potential that we see in you as coaches. 
Um, but yeah, that is frustrating, especially when a player maybe is a key player on a team and, and maybe helps other players look better because he can facilitate yeah. the ball or something like that. I mean, that's 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 not helping out your teammates either, right? You're not no, it's a cop out. You're yeah. letting teammates down. Absolutely. Yep. Coach, we're 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 out of time, but we want to thank you so much for for joining us and wish you the best of luck this season in the MAC. Get some action. Oh, let's go. Guys, thank you so much for having me on. It was great, great to have an opportunity to talk to you. Hey, Glenn, thank you very much. Well done. Very nice job. Thank you. Hope to see you at a Fire Wolves game. Gotcha. All right, we'll see you. We'll see you soon. All right, take, take care. Happy holidays. You too. Hope Santa's good to me. <laughs> All right, thanks again for listening to New England Cross Turtles Chasing the Goal podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. See you next time.